This is the Friday, January 13, 2023 installment of Market Plus. Joining us now, joining us again, and continuing to put up with ridiculous questions, Naomi Bloom and Matthew Bennett. Naomi, I do apologize during the show. <laughs> I, I'm not trying to make light of anything. I didn't try to make you laugh. I'm not, but I love I'm your sorry humor. I threw you off That's the game. That's great. I love your humor. All good said that's the only time can we put that on loop over and over again that somebody <laughs> actually likes my humor okay matt uh we had a question uh i asked you about acreage and cotton i had somebody send me a note this week that was just kind of like mysterious isn't it how'd we lose 1.6 million acres in the revision on corn why is it there always seems to be heavy thumbs omissions additions subtractions of millions of things in these reports I think that those acres were probably silage acres. That's what most of us feel, okay? But the thing for me is, with the FSA data, with all of our technology, I feel pretty confident that we knew in October and November where acreage was better than a 1.6 million acre mess. And so I was shocked, quite frankly. Uh, once again, I mean, you, you see a yield increase. That's, if, if that's the only thing you saw on Thursday, and then you see corn's up. You're gonna be like, what the heck? You know, but if you see that, and let's say the second thing you look at is demands down, you're gonna be like, what in the world just happened here? Well, acreage, I mean, big drop in acreage. I'm surprised, quite frankly. Um, am I upset about it? Absolutely not, you know, we still kept the, the, uh, the corn market intact. And I think it goes without saying that there was a lot of nervous people heading into this report. So it's a gift, I guess, but I thought it was an interesting gift. Do you see it that way? Well, I'll say it. I'll say it. Go. All right. I think it was all about inflation. I think that the USDA, to your point, likely had an idea of what things actually were like. But we are fighting inflation. So to keep from having food prices go exceedingly higher by reporting that information sooner than later, just kind of, you know, hold it back a little bit. So the, the government, in my opinion, is in a situation where potentially, you know, they couldn't give us an overly friendly report. They didn't maybe want to give us friendly information too soon because they don't want food prices to go higher than they need to because that affects that inflation number. At the same time, you can't give us overly bearish news because if prices drop, that's just going to stimulate demand and then ultimately make prices go shooting higher again because of the tight ending stock situation that we have. So um, it is what it is. And that's all I have to say about that. Okay, CPI this week down uh, November to December, first drop since May of 2020, a tenth of a percent. Down, I think, six and a half percent year over year. There's some factors and indications that maybe inflation is, is come under, uh, has finally, some steam is coming out of it. And then we get to Wednesday and Thursday in the mainstream press, and it's all about egg prices. And... Uh, we had a question, in fact, I'm sorry, Julie, again, you knew I was going to do this. Uh, we had a question about uh, the egg industry and the layers, and I guess I'll, uh, here it is, it's, it's Scott in Iowa. It's number 606 to help you out there. Uh, Scott in Iowa, how do larger lane hen operations mitigation of avian flus and specifically keeping it contained in their confinements? How's that going? How is it that this egg story, we, we've talked about it here, how does that play into any of this inflation because it, it just seemed like it was a one-off this time just on the egg price in all the main price. Yep, so that was the theme this week and then um, on that report still like the baker, um, as far as flour things, those are right. all still higher also. 
I feel that the egg issue is going to resolve itself, especially as feed prices come down. They'll correct themselves, they'll right their ship. Egg prices will come down eventually. Egg demand, to me, um, is a little bit more constant. We just have to get through the avian flu issue, and I think it'll work itself through pretty quick. I don't. What, have you heard anything else on With, it? Without avian flu, I don't think you'd see near the spike. I mean, right. essentially, is what it boils down to. Yeah, demand's still pretty good, but... Uh, um, if you go to the grocery store right now, though, most people, you know, I don't do a whole lot of grocery shopping, but uh, obviously my wife and I talk about it, and it's everything's expensive right now still. And so maybe inflation's coming under control a bit, uh, but, you know, we've still got a little ways to go, I think. The consumer's still feeling a little bit of a pinch, but with that being said, you know, we talked earlier, the consumer still wants to buy beef, so the things that they want to buy, they're going to buy. Right. Mm -hmm. They buy in uh, cheese and milk. Demand there is okay. Um, domestic demand for um, all of the dairy complex right now is just kind of constant. We've had more milk production for the past five months. So that's what's been weighing on milk prices. And then in turn, that milk has become more cheese. And so there is more cheese supply out there. So that is why the milk prices come down like what it has. But the demand is constant. And our actual export demand has been still phenomenal for all dairy exports, up nearly 10% year over year. Butter leads the way over like 100% of year ago levels. Whey is strong, cheese. Um, it's all there for the export demand. We just have a little bit of extra production coming from milk, we've got more cows right now, and they are doing a great job of production per cow. So $18 should be support for milk prices for now, but we have a milk production report coming up in a couple weeks, and that'll be the next telltale for new price direction. All right, now we're going to get to some of your questions. Thank you for those that submitted via Facebook and Twitter. Matt, you get the first one officially since I went way out of order, of course. Steven, South Dakota, wants to know. Uh, he says, hedging corn and soybean future prices are you hedging corn and soybean price futures out to 2025? He's asking for a friend. I know, Steve, and he's a good guy. <laughs> um, here's the thing. I don't have a problem stepping in and hedging some. And the whole argument over the last year or so, of course, has been with inflation and with fertilizer prices and, and, and with the concern, for instance, in uh, Ukraine and Russia. Who knows what we're going to be paying for fertilizer, right? But my thing is, as we move forward, we know that prices are going to, high prices have done their job to an extent, and demands come off a little bit, and we're still looking at this, you know, 545 to 560 type DS24 prices that we've enjoyed here lately. Uh, I have no issue stepping in and hedging some. Now, I've heard some folks talk about being able to write HTAs at fairly decent fees, which I'm surprised with, with interest costs going up. I don't know if that's going to be as easy as what you think. Uh, but by all means, no issue there with 24. I'd probably try to do it with an HDA if I, if I can afford to do so. 25, you may have to do a straight-up hedge, but my opinion would be we're going to hedge a little bit less percentage of 25 than what we're going to do 24. It's just it's just a kind of a common sense thing for me, but I have no issue stepping in and doing 10% on 25 and maybe up to 20-25% uh, in a flexible-type strategy. So if I do the HTA, I might step in at some point and buy myself some call coverage just in case this thing would take off and go higher. We're going to move a little further from South Dakota to Northwest Iowa, where Mitch wants to know, Naomi, this is a question. Or actually, no, we're going to go to Paul in Illinois. Sorry, I can't read my own handwriting. Uh, Naomi, uh, following the report this week, how much risk does corn have between now and spring crop insurance price discovery? 
Seasonally, corn works higher until that February USDA report. Um, as you know, the crop insurance number is collected with all that data throughout the month of February, and then we get that magic number at the end of the month. Now, I will say that I feel strongly that the USDA Outlook Forum at the end of February, they're going to say that we're going to have a lot more corn acres. They're going to start talking about the potential for bigger yield. So. I would use any rally that you get over the next little bit to be making sales for new crop, for old crop, protect the value that's there. Um, again, going back to what we said on the show, the question is, are we going to see $8 corn and what's it going to take to get there? And we have re really eliminated all of those bullish factors that were apparent last year. So um, use the rallies and be focusing on the sales. Plus, couldn't you also say it's a cycle thing too? Not so much all the bullish factors, but on a three-year type of a cycle. Do you buy into that? Well, bull markets don't usually last more than two years. If you look back historically, and we're you know actually you know a little bit beyond that, so I'm very much aware and mindful of the quickness that prices could fall. And I look back, so 2013, when we actually started to see things fall apart lower, it was in summer. So it was once they knew the crop was in the mm. ground. Once they knew that the weather was good enough, boom, dropped like a buck, if not more, just because there was no threat anymore. So prices maybe overall stay firmer until this crop is in the ground, but this is not the year to be messing around with it. I'm really adamant about that. You don't get to answer that yet because it ties into this question. That's why I'm going to ask you because I think I know what you're going to say. Mitch in Iowa wants to know, uh, what is your strategy from here for those looking to buy corn for their feeding operation? Any specific price targets in mind, given what she just said? If I'm looking to buy corn, right now I'm probably going to be a little more hesitant. I, I don't see a huge uh, sense of urgency. I mean, here's the thing on the sell side, and, and I, I don't want, I, that's my answer for what your question is. Yeah. I'm sorry, but I have to go back and, and yeah. just say something, because I'm gonna reemphasize, I think, something that Naomi would agree with, and here's, here's the thing. I do a lot of profitability analysis for folks, and a lot of these people are anywhere from, uh, I'd say the average is maybe 510, okay, cash price for corn. In my neck of the woods right now, uh, or going into the report, it was down to like 555, all right? And so there's not a lot there, okay? And I feel like whenever we've made so much money, in 21 and 22, we think, oh, 35 cents a bushel? That's ridiculous, I'm not settling <laughs> for that. Well, there's been a lot of years we would have loved to have seen profit margins of 35 cents a bushel. So we have to be cautious as to sit here and snub our nose at a good situation just because things have been so good over the last two years. Okay, it has been, um, I mentioned it in the program, I forgot to get it into the analysis, but there, we talk about South America a lot, but there's a political story going on there as well. William wants to know, is the unrest in Brazil going to affect the soybean price? I would say, based on what I know about it, it would be those things that make for a good storyline and you can get a, like a bump up in price for a day or two. Um, and I feel, based on what I know about the situation right now, that might be about what it's good for. I do not have my hands deep into the understanding politics of what's happening in South America, but again, the simple surface knowledge that I have, it's enough for a day trading bump. We have a couple of, uh, of our regular folks that ask us questions, and I appreciate you asking them, but I'm gonna let Naomi and Matt get a final comment in uh, because, you know, you're so good. I was just amazed at the questions this week. I didn't even get a 
ask you, what do you want to talk about, Matt? What's, what was on your mind on the drive? Well, you know, the thing is, is that, again, we've had a couple of really good years, Paul. And, and I, I'm a little bit concerned that uh, we can talk about all the things that might drive prices higher, right? We can talk about all the things that, uh, you know, may be able to keep us in a really profitable situation. But as a producer, you have tools available to you uh, to be able to have your cake and eat it too, so to speak. And, and a lot of times we're, we sit around after the fact and say, man, what were we thinking? We should have been marketing some uh, whatever, $6 Dees corn. You know, I know some people right now are going to say, I'm not selling anything until we get back to six fifty. Well, if we don't get back to six fifty, what's your game plan? And so for 2023, the opportunity to have a really good year is still on the table. But I can't guarantee you that the next time I come here, that that will be able to be said. And so we, we, let's, let's be careful is to make too many assumptions that this ag economy is just going to be good for perpetuity. And, and let's take advantage of the tools that we have to lock in something good and stay flexible doing it. Your final word. Um, pay attention to the seasonals. They, they really help paint a picture for when you should be making those cash sales. Um, usually your best times are um, early February to mid-February, and then a lot of times it kind of falls apart after that, and then you get your summer hurrah in some capacity. So use those to your advantage. And I agree with Matt from the standpoint of really you need to understand all of the marketing tools available to you with your cash market. Work with your elevators. Work with whom you're selling to understand, you know, what they're going to be able to offer to you this year, what the fees are, and also be aware of the marketing tools with you know, futures, options, advanced options, strategies. We have a sense of complacency starting to um, be with some producers, and we have a sense of urgency with other producers. And the bottom line is that you have to really understand all the tools that are available you have to, I haven't said this in a while, sit down and do the math and know what's going to work for you, understand what the rate of return is on these different marketing strategies, and, and make sure your lender is on board and make sure that your lender understands the strategies as well. Okay. Naomi Bloom, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Great to see you. Matt Bennett? It's good to see you, too. Good to see you. Yeah. Thank you both. Appreciate it a bunch. Better to see Naomi, though. I know, exactly. And no snowstorm for you to head home in yes. today. True. Like last year when we did this. So. <laughs> All right, well, thank you very much. Next week, we are going to look at how solar is adding to the bottom line on the farm and commodity market analysis with Elaine Cub. Thank you for joining us, and have a great week.